welcome. You're listening to sermons and talks from Providence Church in Brisbane. We believe that God speaks to us through his word, the Bible. So we pray that as you listen, you'll be encouraged and challenged to love Jesus and live for him. For more information about Providence Church, please visit our website, Um, Our Bible reading today is from the Gospel of Mark. It's Mark 11, 12 to 25, and you can find it on page 706 on your church Bibles. The next day, as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig leaf, he went to find out if it had any fruit. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves, because it was not the season for figs. Then he said to the tree, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard him say it. On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And he taught them, and as he taught them, he said, it is not written, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. The chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this and began looking for a way to kill him, for they feared him because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. When, even, when evening came, Jesus and his disciples went out to the city. In the morning, as they went along, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots. Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed has withered. Have faith in God, Jesus answered. Truly, I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, Go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in their heart, but believes what they believes that what they say will happen, it will be done for them. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them, so that your Father in heaven may forgive you for your sins. Uh, have you ever looked forward to, to going somewhere or, or doing something that uh, you were really excited for but found the experience to be really disappointing? Uh, like a tourist trap where, uh, you know, you go to this place where it looks all flashy, it, it looks like a great experience, the travel blogs, all the photos, uh, looks like it'll be worth visiting, but when you get there, you'll, you're just left a little bit disappointed, like, like you've wasted your time, like, like, like you wasted your money and it puts a damper on your holiday. Uh, I've had so many of those experiences. Uh, one of those times happened in New York. I love New York. I do. I really love New York. Uh, I had really high expectations, though. I don't know if you ever heard that song, Empire State of Mine. You know, Alicia Keys and Jay-Z. It goes in the chorus, Now you're in New York. These streets will make you feel brand new. Big lights will inspire you. Let's hear it for New York. Right? So this song is in my head. I'm thinking, New York is going to be this awesome place. You know, dreams are made of. You know, big lights will inspire, inspire me. I'll feel brand new. So I went to New York and I ended up in Times Square and if I could summarize New York, it looks like this photo. Now if you can't see much, it's because it's a bit red, there are these people dressed up in costumes and they're not, they're, well, they're, they're taking their masks off and they're having a chat and, and, it, and, and it's, it's, 
it was, it was quite disappointing. I mean, here's the thing, right? You go there and there are people in Times Square, just heaps of crowds, heaps of tourists everywhere. People dressed up in these costumes of cute cartoon characters. And they call you over and they say, hey, come take a photo with us. Not in a creepy, not in a creepy way, um, but they do. They, they're dressed up in Elmo and like, you've got Elmo here, Mickey Mouse and the Cookie Monster, uh, the Statue of Liberty here and some discount store version of Spider-Man back here, right? Like they're there and they, they're there to, to take photos. And it's really this tourist trap where you get a photo with them and they, are, they ask for a tip. Really, they ask for like 10, 20 US dollars. That's like 30 Australian dollars in our, in our currency. And they'll do that. And then the next thing you, you know, they take off their mask and they have a smoke and they have a chat. And you're just like, oh man, that magic just disappeared. Right? Like I thought I was having a photo with cute Mickey Mouse. But it's just some guy, some middle-aged guy wanting a photo with you. Actually, I was with Heidi, and Heidi kept saying she want, like, every time she sees Mickey Mouse, she wants to give Mickey Mouse a hug. And I was just like, oh, please don't do that. You know, it's just some stranger underneath the costume. I had high hopes for Times Square, but it just felt like a tourist trap. And while I loved New York, there were other things where reality didn't meet my expectations. The subway in New York, it's really run down. It's dirty. It's not like the movie. It's not romantic. Nothing romantic about it. Food and coffee, it was, a, it was pretty overpriced. Like, the, you know, I'm, I'm a coffee person and it was just a bit overpriced. I didn't want to drink coffee because it was, it was pricey. At night, oh, if you ever walk out in New York City at night on any footpath, you'll see these giant possum-sized rats skitter across the footpath everywhere. Oh, Heidi accidentally kicked one with her... She, she was wearing flip-flops as well. Like, she was... That's... That's Heidi for you. She doesn't wear shoes. She, wear yeah. she kicked one by accident. It was gross. It's like, this is where they got inspiration for Splinter, you know, from Teenage Mutant Ninja. Like, giant rats. So many of them. But still, these streets will make you feel brand new. Bright lights will inspire you. Give it up for New York, right? It's like that sometimes, isn't it? On the outside, in, in all the photos, the display home in the brochure, the dress on the website, the, that cheeseburger that looks so good on Instagram, so flashy on the outside but in reality, just a little bit disappointing, almost like false advertising. And I wonder, is that what the church is like today? Is that how the church is viewed in our world today? Another news article or headline about the church being a place that's, that's meant to be welcoming, but it's not, dishonest even. A church that's involved in sex scandals or fraudulent activity, perhaps. Or maybe not just the institution, what about as individuals that make up the church? How does the world see Christians, you and me? Are we as Christians, do we appear as people who, who say the right things? Who look good on the outside in public, but in reality on closer inspection? Just a, a religious veneer, without any substance, without any fruit. If people were to join our church today, would they go away feeling and believing that Christianity in Jesus is just really a bit of false advertising, with no real substance when they see the way we actually live? See, this is the issue that Jesus had with the people during his time. And today's text challenges that in the story of a fig tree and the scene at the temple. So a bit of context. Last week we heard about how Jesus was, was talking to his followers, his disciples, about what greatness looks like. Right? Greatness looks like having a posture of sacrifice, a posture of humble, uh, being a humble servant. Not arrogance, but humility. Chapter 11, this chapter we're in today, it starts off, we didn't read it from verse 1 to 11, but it's about Jesus entering into Jerusalem. Finally, he's at the big city. He's getting closer to his death in chapter 16, 15 and 16, and he's going to this big city. He's entering into Jerusalem. The people are celebrating in the early part of chapter 11. 
what happens is they lay down palm branches, cloaks before him as a, like a parade, like a red carpet, en- red carpet entrance uh, because someone great is coming into town. And the crowds follow him and they're shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest, which just means, you know, praise, great praise in the highest. It's this great joy that they have. It's this beautiful picture of what, uh, as well, of what humility and greatness look like, looks like because what Jesus does is he comes into this town not riding on a horse or, or chariot or something grand with you know, banners and flags, but we discover he enters into Jerusalem on a little donkey, like a, a donkey that's probably better for a child or a, or a hobbit, right? The, the, the powerful king of the universe. We've seen his power so far in chapters 1 to 10. We've seen his power over the elements of nature, everything, and he enters the city on a little donkey. Can you see what he's doing already? He enters into the, the big city of Jerusalem, and he comes to turn the world upside down, doesn't he? Strength and power seen in gentleness and humility. Now, for many, Jesus is this meek and mild character in history. And people think of Jesus and think of this, um, this, this peace and love and, you know, that sort of character. <laughs> I don't know what I was doing there. But, you know, that, that, that sort of, you know, peace and, and whatever, that he wouldn't hurt a fly. But this man got angry as well. In our passage today, there's a fig tree that Jesus rages at. And there's a scene at the temple where Jesus is also raging. He does get angry at times. He's, he's emotional. He's just like any other human in that sense. So let's understand what, what happens. Let's uh, follow along in the Bible, in your Bible with me. I'm going to read from it again from our passage. Verse 12. The next day as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to find out if it had any fruit. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves, because it was not the season for figs. Then he said to the tree, May no one ever eat from you again. And his disciples heard him say it. Here's the thing about fig trees in the Middle East back then. They bore two kinds of fruit. As the leaves came in, before the figs, there would be these little nodules, like pre-figs, that were, they were still good to eat. And so uh, for, for travelers who are you know, going on a journey, they see these fig trees, they'd pick off these little like, nodules and they'd eat them. It'd be these little pre-figs uh, that you can enjoy. Now you've got this really leafy fig tree that Jesus sees. It looks like it's flourishing on the outside from a distance. Even though it's not the season for figs yet, it tells us this, this tree is like an early bloomer. There would have at least been these little nodules appearing that you could eat. So Jesus is hungry. Relatable. Jesus is hungry. Uh, he's like us at times. Uh, he realizes, he comes to it, and he realizes that this tree is fruitless. No, no fruit or leaf, right? And there's something evidently wrong with this tree. Bad roots, ra- bad roots perhaps, bad soil, fake tree, who knows, false advertising. Jesus goes from hungry Jesus then to hangry Jesus. He curses a fig tree. May no one ever eat fruit from you again. Sounds so random, doesn't it? cursing a tree of all things. But I imagine we've all felt that at some point, haven't we? <laughs> that frustration when we're looking forward to eating something and just, just ugh, frustrated when we don't get it or it's not as good. Uh, there's a meme that went around uh, a couple of years ago and I, I loved it. It was so relatable, but it was about that Danish butter cookie tin. Do you guys know this one? I've got a, a picture of it here on the screen. Uh, it's, you know, when you're a kid, you look forward to the, the butter cookies and you open it and there's needles and thread and, and haberdashery. Like, as a kid, you're looking so forward to that sweet, sugary butter hit, whatever, but you find needles and thread instead. Oh, but that's disappointing, isn't it? Has, has you, have you guys ever experienced I've actually experienced I'm pretty sure I've experienced it. Like, relatable, isn't it? So you can understand why Jesus is a bit angry now. He's, he's, he's disappointed. But 
he's not just a crazy man yelling at a tree, is he? What he's doing in this moment is he's using this tree as a teaching moment. Yeah, you can take that picture down. Last year, when we, when we looked at the book of Mark, uh, Mark's gospel last year in 2022 from chapter 1 to 8, uh, oftentimes uh, in the gospel stories, we're told how Mark uh, sandwiches a teaching point, right? Slices of bread and filling in the middle. Mark's, Mark's a sandwich artist. And he's made one for us here in chapter 11. He's made a sandwich for us because what happens is we'll come back to the fig tree, won't we? And what's sandwiched between the fig tree story is a scene that happens at the temple. This is going to help us understand why he curses the fig tree, the temple. Verse 15. On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. So he goes into Jerusalem. He enters the temple area. This is a large courtyard first. As you go through the, the gates or the doors, there's a large courtyard area. It's the biggest section of the temple uh, space. And in this courtyard, what he finds is this, there are business operations going on. There's market stalls that were set up. Why? Why are there market stalls in a temple? It's meant to be a place of prayer and sacrifice, isn't it? And so what's happened is uh, they've, they've set up this marketplace to, to sell animals to sacrifice. Uh, this is, uh, when, when, when ancient Jews, uh, when they went to God for forgiveness, this is what they do. They'd sacrifice animals for the forgiveness of their sins. This was really common uh, in ancient religion. So you go to the marketplace, you sell your animal if you're a farmer. It became a place of trade. I can imagine how busy, I don't know if you've ever been to really busy marketplaces where everyone's just yelling at each other, it's really claustrophobic. That's what I imagine when I read this. Uh, you know, those, those, those markets where, it's, uh, maybe it's not so common in Brisbane because we don't have the population, but... Like, have you guys ever been to markets in like Korea, Taiwan, India, Hong Kong? You know how it's just so crowded? People are like, like hustling and, and yelling at each other, trying to negotiate and all that sort of stuff. I imagine that's what's happening here, right? But then you also add in like livestock, like chickens clucking and, and cows mooing and making all sorts of noises. It would be this intense flurry of activity happening in the temple place. One of the historians, actually, one of the Jewish historians that lived during this time, he recorded that during Passover week, so Passover is a week uh, which is happening now as well in this story, where, uh, where the Jews celebrate um, the, their freedom from slavery in Egypt that was happening in Exodus a long time ago. Uh, they, they celebrate Passover, this festival. And during that week of, fest of Passover, 255,000 lambs were bought and sold, right? Sacrificed in this temple. That's a lot of lambs. That's a, lot of, that's a lot of livestock. So you can imagine how busy this temple place was with, with all this activity, a lot of trade going on in this courtyard. Now, what's wrong with that? Why does Jesus get angry about people setting up stalls in the courtyard? Because this is the temple. First of all, it's not the marketplace. It's the temple. What's the temple for? It's for a place of worship, a place where you can worship God and ask God for forgiveness through the sacrifices. But what we also know about this courtyard area in history is why it was designed, what, like what it was designed for. In the temple, there were sections. And in the outer courtyard, there were, let's start from the inside. In the inside, in the inner part of the temple was the Holy of Holies. It's a place where only the high priest, the Jewish high priest, could go into. Outside of that, there was an area for, for Israel, Jewish people, right? And all the priests and then Israel, circumcised Jews. That's what they would call them, you know, outside. That, and then outside of that was the outer court. Who was the outer court made for? non-Jews, Gentiles, we, the Bible calls them, us, people like you and me who, who aren't Jewish, if you're, if you're not a Jew, Jewish person in the room. 
right? That outer court was made for them. This court had boundaries. And, and there'd be even a sign that it says, you can't pass this point if you're a Gentile. Historians said something like, the, the sign literally said something like, if you're a Gentile and pass this boundary into the inner courts, there's only you to blame for your consequential death. Like, it was a big deal. So they created this courtyard for the Gentiles. Now, when you think about Jesus being the Messiah, the Christ, you know, Jews were looking for the Messiah to come, and the Messiah was, it, it, it was said, at least, tradition said that the Messiah was going to come and purge the temple of the Gentiles. But what Jesus is doing here is he's flipping tables. He's getting angry because he's actually an advocate for the Gentiles. You see, in verse 17, Is it not written, My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations? But you've made it into a den of robbers. He's quoting Old Testament scriptures here to the Jews who know their scriptures. This was from the book of Isaiah in our Bibles. I've got it on the screen as well here. It says, oh, is this? yep, this is it. Um, These foreigners, foreigners who bind themselves to the Lord, to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord and be his servants, all who keep this... I want to go to the bottom part. These I will bring to my holy mountain and give them joy in my house. So he's talking about foreigners in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. For my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. The temple was built to be a house of prayer for all, na- all nations. It was known even in ancient Israel. All nations, like the, like, like the nations we he- have here at Providence. Who do we have represented in this room? I- I'd love to find out. Shout out. Who do we have? Where, where, where are you from? Hong Kong? Australia? Malaysia? China? Taiwan? India? <laughs> I know we have a lot. Vietnam, Cambodia, Indonesia, Philippines. Isn't that awesome? Like, at least 10 there, right? Nations. Representing here. If you lived during Jesus' time and you made a pilgrimage to the temple of God in Jerusalem because you wanted to make sacrifices for your sins, you wanted to pray to God, you wanted to have access to God, guess what? You wouldn't be welcome because that area was made into a marketplace. Jesus says you made it into a den of robbers. It's from Jeremiah chapter 7. I've got that on the screen as well. I'm going to read this. It's actually a long one. If you really change your ways and your rations, he's talking to Israel, a disobedient Israel, and deal with each other justly, if you do not oppress the foreigner, the fatherless, or the widow, and do not shed innocent blood in this place, and if you do not follow other gods to your own harm, then I will let you live in this place, in the land I, get, I gave your ancestors forever and ever. But look, you are trusting in deceptive words that are worthless. Next slide. Will you steal and murder, commit adultery and perjury, burn incense to Baal and follow other gods you have not known, and then come and stand before me in this house which bears my name and say, we are safe, safe to do all these detestable things. Has this house, house which bears my name become a den of robbers to you? But I have been watching, declares the Lord. All right, the temple, it was a big deal. It was known far and wide as a place you meet God, you pray to God, you have your sins forgiven by God. But they've made God's house a den of robbers. And so Jesus, he's calling them out. He's saying they're essentially no better than what their ancestors were like who lived in disobedience to God. In Jeremiah, Israel thought the temple was their safe space. They thought, well, we still have the temple. We're safe. We're good. And so what they're doing is they're putting their trust not in God, but in a building. As if that's a, a sign that they're being protected by God. 
even though their hearts were far from worshipping God. It was really a misplaced trust, you could say. Jesus is making this claim to the people in his day. Instead of uh, living for God and loving him or inviting and welcoming the nations to come for prayer, they've elevated the status of the temple, not God. And what they did is they made it into a marketplace. Yeah, lots of activity. It looks like the place to, pe- like the place to be. Uh, make you feel brand new, right? And big lights will inspire you. But really, a place that's meant to be... F- for faith was really false and just a bit of false advertising. Flashy on the outside, but on closer inspection, just fruitless. By creating this place, they're, they're taking away the house of prayer from the people. They're essentially robbing the nations. They're taking away the opportunity for people to come to God in prayer, to access God and find their forgiveness in Him. And they weren't being faithful. They were driven instead, weren't they? They weren't driven by love for God. They were driven by love for themselves. And so Jesus is calling that. He's flipping tables in anger. So can we see? We can see why his rage is justified, can't we? The leafy fig tree with all its promise of fruit, it's as deceptive as the temple, which despite its religious, you know, commerce activity, is really just a facade for thieves to operate. Do we see our sandwich? The last slice of the sandwich reads this, verse 19. When evening came, Jesus and his disciples went out to the city. In the morning, as they went along, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots. Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed has withered. You see, the, the tree has, has withered. The temple has no roots. It's no longer good for anything. The curse of the fig tree is a symbol of God's judgment on the temple. It will be destroyed. And the destruction begins with, with when Jesus dies on the cross, the curtain in the temple, the, the holy of holies that I mentioned earlier, is torn in two. The whole temple gets destroyed later on and to this day has not been rebuilt. All that's to show is that the temple won't save us. And while people believe the temple is there to access God, it's actually Jesus' death and resurrection that gives us true access to God, isn't it? The temple has been replaced with his body and his blood. He is the new temple. No more sacrifices. No more need for pilgrimages. It's it's in Jesus and sacrifices uh, and His sacrifice that we can access God. We can find forgiveness for our sins. If you're not, if you're here and you're not a Christian, this is the message that I want you to hear as well. It's in Jesus and Him alone where you can have a restored relationship with God. You can come to Him. He invites you to come, and as you are. And in a world where, where, where cancel culture, right, is so rampant and forgiveness is hard to come by, you can find forgiveness for your sin from the God of the universe in Jesus through the sacrifice and love that he's, that, that he's made, the sacrifice he's made for you and I. So we go on to the next part. And Jesus says in verse 22, he answers, he says, have faith in God. It's, 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 he's contrasting this with faith in the temple. Have faith in God, in Jesus. It's in Him who we pray to. It's not about the location, it's the venue, the building that makes your prayers heard. No, it's, it, you can access God through Jesus. You can access forgiveness through Him. When He talks about moving mountains and the power of prayer, it's not, it's not manifested and it'll happen. Name and claim, like some magical formula. This verse about prayer and moving mountains is, is, is really taken out of context way too much. It's not just pray, God will give you whatever you, whatever you want. God isn't our genie. He's not a genie or anything. The text has to be read in its context. It's not about the power of our prayers. It's not about the strength of your faith either. 
It's about the power of the one we have faith in. Have faith in God. He says, have faith in God. He's a powerful one who can move mountains. And when we come to him in prayer, in the way that, that the temple was originally designed for, coming to him in prayer, asking for forgiveness, isn't that the miracle? The miracle isn't moving mountains. Jesus, God could do that. But that he might forgive our sins. Wow, that's a mountain that's hard to move. Our hearts to be changed. Isn't that what we want the temple to do for us? When we go to the temple, we, are, we want the forgiveness of our sins. Jesus says, put your faith in God. Find the forgiveness we're all hungry for in Him. Now, there's a couple of things we need to take away from this. I think the first one is quite clear. If, if people got to know our church, or know you and I as Christians, what would they find on closer inspection? Would they find fruit? Our banner, our website says, a vision to be ch- a church loving Jesus, loving each other, and loving our world. It's a vision Something we're striving for. Is that evident that we're striving for? Gracious, humble love seen in the fruit of our lives. Or are we just all leaves? A little false advertising. If Jesus searched your heart and your motivations and your intentions, would he find fruit? Would he see that you've would would he see change? For the Jews, the temple was a place to welcome in the foreigner the outsider, to invite them to get to know the God of love and mercy. Is that us today as a church, as God's people? Do you play a role in that? Do you share in God's evangelistic heart to see the lost saved? Do you welcome into your life uh, those who, who don't go to church? You see, and those who come through our doors, who, who might be the outsider? You see, the danger of our, our growing church like ours is that we become insular, don't we? We just want to be around our friends, our Christian friends even. But welcoming in the new person who isn't like us, well, that's a little bit out of our comfort zone. Sure, we'll make church into an attractive place. Church will be this community that looks like one of love for one another. But on closer inspection, is there love for the outsider, those who aren't like us? Are we doing hospitality? Are we doing vulnerability, no judgment, being a safe space of grace? Are we making the effort to love with our time, with our homes, with our patience, with the hope and prayer that the outsider amongst us will get to know the goodness and love of our Lord Jesus? We have to search our own hearts on this one. Because when we aren't welcoming in the outsider, we're not giving them the opportunity to access the forgiveness of God. We're not allowing them to access the God who has so graciously offered uh, forgiveness for us, right? we might as well be robbing them of the invitation to a relationship with God. Now, I don't know if you are, but you might be thinking, well, call me a robber then, because <laughs> I don't know where to start. Whether I can, whether it's I even have any fruit in my life. And I know people struggle with this in our church. Am I even a Christian, Mikey? I don't know. Uh, I, think it's first, I think it's fair to first say there is no perfect Christian. Christians mess up all the time. I mess up all the time. And the church collectively messes up all the time. No one's perfect. We preach a message about a God who is perfect, though. He's the one we have faith in. Yet for us to be human is to have pride and selfishness. It's the tune of the human heart. We will fail at times. But the Christian life isn't defined by success and failure. It's defined by faith in God. Have faith in God, Jesus says. So let's start by being honest about the struggles, 
Yes, we might struggle to see fruit in our lives. But let's also move towards taking steps, baby steps perhaps. Perhaps the fruit that we all need to work on on is doing this daily. It's just that simple, humble dependence on God in prayer. Because that's fruit. Praying that God will work powerfully in and through us and see what happens, depending on Him. It might start off with these little prefigs, these nodules, fruit that looks a little bit unripe. You know, like the, like, like the odd bunch that you get at the supermarket. You know, it might look like that. But start praying for that and see the power of God at work. The power of God that can move mountains and move our hearts. As we do that, may the fruit that's been seen in our hearts also look like fruit that's forgiving others. If we truly are a forgiven people, if we truly believe in Jesus, that he has forgiven you of your sin, who has brought us into a relationship with greatness himself, extend forgiveness to others. Let God judge. Let God do the act of vindication and justice and changing hearts. But if we're harboring bitterness and anger, we might as well be a fruitless fig tree. Oh, this is hard. I struggle with this one all the time. I have to preach to myself that I'm so undeserving of God's forgiveness. Yet he offers it freely to me in Christ. I cannot hold on to resentment and anger towards another if I have faith in God, if I know his mercy. What about you? Otherwise, we'd be just like that fig tree. All leaf, no fruit. You know, the truth is it's easy to come across as a, a flourishing leafy tree, isn't it? Even as a church, as an individual. You might be kicking goals in life. Your family is in order. You have a good job, lots of friends, a thriving social life. You're juggling multiple ministries at church as well. You're serving a lot. To everyone else, you're that Christian everyone else wishes they could be. <laughs> Yet at the same time, isn't this all too common? The roots are withered. Lots of leaves, but no real inner fruit. No prayerful dependence, no worship, deep, humble love for God or selfless love for others. Sometimes it's so easy to be fooled by the leaves in our own life, isn't it? Leaves that might look like fruit. Friends, we can look busy. And church can, can look like a busy place. There's lots of activity in life here at Providence. Opportunities to serve, great community of people, sermons that are relevant, hopefully, to, to our generation. But if there's no real spiritual fruit, no sacrificial love, no humble service, well, it's a little bit like a tourist trap, isn't it? Attractive as you all are, will real faith in God be expressed and evident in the fruit that we produce? Let's not just be, a busy, let's not just be busy in church activities, having a veneer of spiritual spirituality. But let's be deeply praying. Let's be deeply dependent on God, actively loving one another and the outsider and asking the Holy Spirit to produce spiritual fruit and change in our lives. Let's pray for that now.